Are you good with people? Maybe you're organized or have a knack for numbers. Well, then chances are you've got skills that could lead to a new career. A Google Career Certificate can help you get a foot in the door with top employers in fast-growing fields like IT support, project management, data analytics, and user experience design. It's professional-level training developed and taught by Google employees. And it's all online so you can learn around your schedule. Put your skills to work. Go to grow.google slash certificates. If you're a pro, you know that this is not efficient because you know there's a better way. There's also a better way to save. When pro customers buy building supplies in bulk at Lowe's, they save up to 20% every day. Buy in bulk and save up to 20% on concrete, gypsum, and gypsum accessories. At Lowe's, buy more, save more. Visit the Pro Desk or Lowe'sForPros.com for details. Discount applies to contractor pack items. Minimum purchase required, U.S. only. Hi, and welcome to The Pollsters. I'm Margie O'Meara, Democratic pollster with PSB Research. And I'm Kristen Soltis-Anderson, Republican pollster with Echelon Insights. And each week we bring you the latest polls driving the news in politics, tech, and pop culture. So we just have a few short announcements this time. The first one is we're on Spotify, which is cool if that's where you get your music. You have a Spotify playlist if you feel like you want to listen to The Pollsters sandwiched between two of your favorite songs. The new Solange album. For example, yes, you can do so that. So good. And it's on Spotify. Yes. So I spent most of the last 72 hours listening to it. We're super excited. Spotify does not put every single show on there. So we were really excited to be included. And we're featured right next to some of our podcast friends at Left, Right, and Center by KCRW. We've both been on that show hosted by Josh Barrow and Rich Lowry. And I will be doing a live show with them in L.A. on the 20th of October at the Ace Hotel, which people tell me – it's cool. Ooh, I've been to the Ace Hotel in New York just for a drink. I've never stayed there, but it's pretty cool. So It's like the best place you can walk to from Penn Station and get a drink and not feel like you're in Penn Station. Like at Hula Hands or something? <laughs> yeah, but before we walked in here, I was telling Margie that I struggle with like so many people I know love New York City. And me. Because that would be me. most of my experience with New York City is Penn Station and like within a four block radius of Times Square – I just don't get it. Are you like Donald Trump? You go to the airports and you're like, what is wrong with America? What is wrong? Why is LaGuardia like a third world airport? No, I, LaGuardia is actually fine. I've I've always found it to be perfectly okay. Uh, but yeah, uh, the Ace Hotel is like, oh, okay. I get, I, I get this New York thing a little bit more. Yeah, New York is pretty sweet. But LA is pretty <laughs> cool also. I like to go visit LA. I would not want to live in LA, but I would love to go visit LA. So I will be there on the 20th. So you should go. You should get tickets. It'll be fun. And there'll be other people who are also Wait, entertained. Wait, I think I'm going to be in LA on the 20th hmm. for something different. Yes. We, sh- we should we'll talk. Admit, right. <laughs> we should talk. We may be recording our show. Okay, this will be this will work. We'll have several live awesome. shows. Um, so those are our incredible announcements. Um, and now we're going to talk a little bit more about what's been in the news this week. What would you say are some of the top lines this week, Kristen? The tax man cometh, but not for Donald Trump. We will talk a little bit about what the polls say about Donald Trump's tax returns and the fact that he hasn't really released them yet. Still, uh, we'll also talk a little bit about the Veep Rumble. Will it matter in the race? Who won? Who cares? We'll talk about Stephen Colbert's critical focus group, 
with an absolutely essential swing group of voters. <laughs> then there's a hurricane bearing down on Florida. Listeners who are in the path of Matthew, be safe, evacuate, uh, charge up your devices so that you can listen to the pollsters while you are headed inland. Um, we're going to take a look at some polling about not weather, but climate and climate change and what people uh, from v- different parties think about the science behind uh, climate change. And last but not least, it's October. Start thinking of your Halloween costumes now. We'll give you some ideas and inspiration from the polls. So first we have our poll of the week, and this comes from NORC. So they did a really big report on news consumption. And we saw this actually, our old friend and former guest, uh, Carl Bialik from 538 wrote about this, and uh, we found the link to it. And as always, we link to the stuff in our show notes. And um, what they found uh, at NORC, they did this poll in January. So it's about news consumption, um, but it's not, you know, kind of of the moment news consumption, but that's yeah, okay. And we've, and we've talked a lot about where do people get their news? But one thing that we haven't talked about is do people feel overwhelmed by it? There's a fantastic book uh, by fr- uh, one of my friends, Clay Johnson, um, the, information, Clay Johnson. the Information Diet. That's right. Um, I, the, the first time I met him, he looked at my phone and was horrified at the number of apps that I had on my phone and was like, you need to pare this down. Like I needed to conmari my – my information situation. Um, and he's not wrong. Um, so NORC, they asked people, do you feel overwhelmed at times by the quantity of information available to you? Uh, and 62% of people say, not really, but sometimes it can be too much. Uh, 16% are in my camp where we say, yes, I often feel overloaded. Then again, I do that to myself because I right. read Twitter constantly. So right. it is completely self-inflicted. And then 22% of people say, no, I do not feel overwhelmed by the quantity of information that I have. Yeah. So I thought, you know, I, I mean, I guess I was surprised that you didn't have more people say that they felt like really overwhelmed. So I guess that's good news. Well, and when we ask, they ask, what are you getting more information about? Most people are getting more information about health and hobbies. And so presumably it's things that they're interested in, that they're going looking for. It's not like me where I'm being inundated with like constant garbage fire news. hose of Trump <laughs> garbage. Um Garbage you know, news. it's like, ooh, I'm going to like look at this food blog and learn how to make a delicious meal or no. I'm going to troll around on Pinterest and figure out how to decorate my living room. Like no. that information is kind of fun. Um, the things where people got the least information with, were things about local news, civic life in your community and neighborhood and neighbors. Turns out the internet is no replacement for getting to know the folks next door. True enough. And the last bit that I thought was kind of interesting from this NORC poll, so they also asked, thinking about purchases you might make, would you consider – how often would you consider seeking out new sources of information in addition to your usual sources of information? Then they asked the same question about national issues. So national issues facing the country today – how often would you go seek out new sources of information? So maybe you can see where we're going with this. People are more likely to seek out new information sources for major purchases than they are for national news. Well, speaking of national news, on Sunday, if you tuned in at 11 o'clock a.m. to CNN, you caught Brian Stelter's Reliable Sources, where you saw both Margie and I talking about the big news bombshell of the weekend, which was the New York Times release of Donald Trump's taxes. I I think that there wasn't there an interview at the top of the show with the reporter, yes. and she sort of hedged when they when he asked her, "Do you have more information that hasn't come out yet?" 
She said no comment. Yeah. And she said, so... and I think he asked, do you know who sent this to you? And she said no comment. I am a believer in the internet theory that it's Marla Maples. Yeah, why not? And it, there was some other piece, and I apologize to everybody who I'm sure has read it that I have not read the fine print, but something where she said, like, I'm always checking my mailbox. Like, she always had this kind of mailbox thing that people were. Yeah, it's a great article. She writes about how, you know, nowadays so many reporters, everything is digital, but she still has a, like, snail mail mailbox that she's obsessive about checking. And yeah. so sure enough, one day <laughs> in that – and she, and she said, like, most of the mail I get is people in, like, New York State penitentiaries, like, you know. She's going to get all kinds of great mail. Well, now. no. So then at the end of her column about, like, here's why good old-fashioned checking your mailbox journalism matters, she puts the address and says, like, send me your stuff if you want to do an anonymous tip. And I was Aww. like, oh, her poor mailbox. <laughs> uh, although there there was – I did see some – some Twitter snark that I I was amused by where it was sort of billed as like, this is a great lesson to young journalists about how to get a big scoop. And someone else retweeted it and was like, yes, step one, work at the New York Times. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, Marla Maples isn't just dropping that in the mail to, you know, some no-name blogger. <laughs> That's funny. Sure, sure does help. So, I mean, what was interesting about the polling on um, taxes, so there was, it was quite a bit of polling about Trump's tax, tax returns before this bombshell. There's been a little bit afterwards. It's pretty consistent in terms of what it finds, which it finds that people think he should release his tax returns and also that people know he hasn't released his tax returns. There was one poll, and this was done, I think, in August, that showed – I think this was Quinnipiac. It was either Quinnipiac or Monmouth that showed that more people knew that – Trump had not released his tax returns, then knew that Clinton had released her tax returns, which I guess is not a surprise because the negative is more salacious than, you know, ta-da, here are your tax returns. Um, and I guess the other issue, and this was part of the, I guess, round two of Brianna Keeler with somebody from the Trump campaign, where she was saying, no, the polls show that people do care about Trump's tax returns. And I actually have a little bit of a quibble about that because they do want him to release his tax returns, but that doesn't mean that this is necessarily a vote driver per se, because obviously three-fourths of Americans know he hasn't released his tax returns even before this bombshell. You know, It's not that he was getting 25% of the vote. So, I mean, it's not like you know this and then automatically you're not voting for him. Right. And there, it, but there's always a chicken and egg problem whenever you're dealing with something about a specific candidate where we can look at these polls. I think this is the Survey Monkey poll um, that fielded uh, – I think this poll actually fielded before oh, the yes, New York right. Times bombshell. Um, but it still – it said you know 67 or 76 percent of Americans think Donald Trump should release his tax returns. Six out of ten Republicans – um, over 90% of Democrats, you've got three quarters of independents. But when you ask. Bipartisan agreement. Bipartisan agreement. But when you ask how strongly you feel about it, only 16% of Republicans feel strongly about it. Perhaps mm. those are the hashtag never Trumpers. 76% um, of Democrats feel strongly about it. Presumably those are the ones. They're all already voting for Clinton's. So Trump right. doesn't need to worry about them. Right. And then there's this 43% of independents. Which I wonder how Trump and Clinton are doing with independence. Like if you if you looked at the crosstabs, are all of those forty three percent of independents who feel strongly about Trump releasing his tax returns, are they already voting for Clinton? Are they undecided? Who are they? Because that's to your point, that's what would determine does this actually move the polls? 
This might be very important to a lot of people. Might not be a driver of their vote. And if Trump were to release them tomorrow and everything were to be fine, doesn't mean those people would go, ah, well, everything's fine. (laughs) Great, great Trump. I know. I mean – yeah, I, I do buy a little bit of the argument that for a group of people, they find this story to be, you know, not surprising and not persuasive as a reason to vote against him. I mean, let, let's think about the, the, the flip side here. And this is not to do some kind of moral equivalency thing. This is just a thought experiment. But let's say Hillary Clinton, there was a question, how important is it, do, do you think it is for Hillary Clinton to disclose something about the Clinton Foundation or whatever. You can imagine an awful lot of Republicans in that poll being like, yes, it is so important that she release that. And yes, I feel strongly about it. But like none of those people are actually right. If all of a sudden tomorrow she did release, you know, a videotape of what she did in the 24 hours when Benghazi was happening, like uh, right. Would that move any votes? I don't know. Right, right. And it's the same thing when we had a poll. I, I can't remember who did it from a few weeks ago when there was the pneumonia news and you had people saying that they uh, – majorities, clear majorities, that the candidates should release their mental health records or physical – I mean, basically – I mean, there's nothing you can ask about that people would say, nah, they don't need to disclose it. I mean, for the most part, people want yeah. to see all kinds of disclosure. So it doesn't necessarily mean that the lack of disclosure is just going to make everyone – turn against a candidate per se. However, I don't think we've seen the last of this tax news story for sure. Uh, YouGov um, and The Economist released a poll, and this was done fairly recently, and they asked, uh, have you heard a lot about a variety of different stories? And the not releasing tax returns was a second after Clinton email story in terms of overwhelming number of people saying that they had heard a lot about it, the top category. 79% had heard a lot about the Clinton email story. 71% had heard a lot about Trump and his tax returns. Then you get to Clinton and Benghazi. Then it just starts to become kind of more recent stuff, the deplorables remark, the Miss Piggy remark, and so on. Far further down the list, Trump Foundation, Bondi, Pam Bondi donation. That's an attorney general in Florida, discrimination lawsuit, Trump Cuba story, which was just in the news pretty recently. I'm not yeah. surprised that that was not very high in the list. But anyway – the tax returns is pretty salient. It would not surprise me if the, the tax return story doesn't come up again in the debate, because if you'll notice, in the debate last week, Clinton got under Trump's skin when I she did talked about <laughs> uh, whether or not he was as rich as he says he is, and if he was a good businessman. Like, that's that's the wound that you can poke where he just, f- like, freaks out and loses his cool. And so can you even imagine when Hillary Clinton gets up there and goes, like, you know what's you know cool? M- losing a million dollars isn't cool. You know what's cool? Losing a billion dollars. <laughs> right, Donald? Right? Losing oh, a billion God. dollars. It's going to be great. Uh, and he'll try to explain it away. And look, m- many of his core supporters will probably agree with him. But uh, that's going to be the thing. If she's looking to, like, poke the bear. I well, bet you the tax return story is it. And I, it's and it's not going to be about you're so shady for not releasing your tax returns. It's going to be you lost a billion dollars, guy. Right, right. Um and all the variety of inconsistencies and hypocrisies. Um but I'm sure he's been hitting the books, you know, pretty hard in the last uh <laughs> week. My favorite thing about the Veep debate was that there was a moment when and and I, I, I will say, you know, we'll get into the Veep debate thing in a second. I think Mike Pence did an amazing job considering the circumstances. Uh, but there was a moment when he was saying, like, 
Donald Trump doesn't run an insult-driven campaign. And at that exact moment, Donald yes. Trump is retweeting a tweet that says that Tim Kaine is like a villain from a Batman movie. I mean, <laughs> like these two things are happening. I'm doing. I'm such a millennial. I'm doing this the two the multi-screen, the two-screen experience, and on the right. one screen, Donald Trump's not running an insult-driven campaign. On my other screen is Trump. Tim Kaine. Trump running his own insult. Insult campaign. He's a Batman villain. By the way, Batman villain, a pretty popular Halloween costume, we'll find out later. Oh, we'll find out later. Excellent, so Tim Kaine has got a lot of company, if that's what he chooses to go as uh, this Halloween, particularly with the older adult set. Well, so prior to last night, how many people would have been choosing Tim Kaine or Mike Pence as their costumes? Did anybody know who they were? <laughs> the polls suggest... No. Not really. Um, yeah. So there is – ABC did this with SSRS um, and they asked people who is the vice presidential nominee for the Republican Party and about a third uh, said not sure. Um, of 37 percent said not sure. For the Democratic Party, you had um, – I think 40% who couldn't, you know, have, they didn't have any impression of Pence when you gave him his name. Uh, more than that, had no impression of Kane when you supplied his name. Um, Survey Monkey had kind of similar numbers showing pluralities. Uh, a plurality didn't know enough about Tim Kane to have any sort of impression of him. Uh, um, for Mike Pence, people are a little bit more divided between favorable, unfavorable, and have no idea, not sure. Um, so I guess this really is not a surprise that the VP picks uh, were overshadowed, headed into this VP debate uh, by the top of the ticket. That's probably still going to be true. I think the VP debate is not going to ultimately move the needle. You know, Pence, I think, won on style. Kane, I think, won a little bit more on substance, given that Pence kept trying to sidestep around his uh, his running mate and some of the issues that he said. <laughs> some of the things he said he didn't say but actually said uh, made a lot of news uh, today. But still, I think most of the data coming out of that debate showed uh, – Pence having an advantage. So Luntz did a focus group that showed pretty decisively that people supported Pence and thought Pence was doing a good job. There was a CNN focus group in Richmond of undecided voters where people thought Kane had won. But since Pence, I mean, since Kane was mayor of Richmond, perhaps that's not necessarily a fair. It's a hometown crowd. It's a hometown crowd. Is that really a fair place to go? And then the CNN poll, and that's an actual real poll, not one of these go online and refresh kind of polls. They pre-recruited people. They did a poll before the debate. They asked people their vote. They asked people if they were going to watch. They called people back. So it's, you know, you're actually, you know, talking to real people. And they found a slight advantage to Pence, 48 to 42 over Kane. Um, so even though and, the poll was a little Democratic. Yeah, David Chalian said that the, the respondents to the poll leaned slightly more Democratic. So in this case, I mean, I think it is – it's it's notable, right? You had an awful lot of Democrats taking this poll and still saying like, no, I think Pence won. Just like you had a lot of Republicans taking their poll previously and saying, no, Clinton won. Yeah, I think that's fair. But I think it's also fair to say that it's probably not going to really make much of a difference ultimately in 
how people view do this Do you race. mean that the oh-so-important swing kitten vote <laughs> is not important? Margie, I thought we talked about this like two weeks ago that like cats are cats run the world. Yes, I and do. Stephen Colbert decided he wanted to figure out how they thought about this race. I, I I have to say I am not I'm not embarrassed to say there have been times where I prefer the Puppy Bowl to the Super Bowl. <laughs> so that's fair. I think sometimes there might be moments where you might prefer to watch a group of kittens play than to <laughs> than to watch the VP debate. Um, so I, I thought this was a fun little, a fun little thing, and I like that they seem to not um, try to put percentages on the focus group responses, which is good, which I appreciate. <laughs> they <laughs> they are doing a focus group of cats, and they understand that methodologically this is a qualitative, not quantitative exercise. That's right. <laughs> Better than some actual professionals in the field. That's right. I digress. That's right. That's exactly right. Way to go. Stephen Colbert and the methodologist on your team. So the cats in the litter box in this. So it was, it was just a live stream of cats running around in a cage. And then wherever they were sitting on the blue side or the red side was, you know, their decision. Right. With the screen, with the, t- you know. With the screen. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and the litter box being undecided. <laughs> so check Delightful. it out. I think you can still watch it. Delightful. Um, so what does all this mean for the race currently. So, you know, I think it's probably too soon. To, well, it's not probably. It is too soon to say whether the VP debate is going to have any effect on the horse race. It's probably not in the end going to have much of a you know effect. I mean, perhaps there are some Republicans who are reassured by Pence's performance. We'll see if that sticks. Um, but right now you have a six-point advantage for Clinton in the Huffington Post pollster average and some advantages in some of the states. I mean, this is a bit of a bump from a week or two ago. This seems to be a real bounce after the Trump-Clinton debate and the subsequent Trump meltdown. Um, I don't know how Republicans are feeling looking at these numbers. I guess they feel a little bit better after the debate last night, but at least it takes Trump off the news for, for a while, even if it doesn't change voters, the debate per se, the VP debate per se, but at least it's not a day of here's what Trump tweeted. Right. And so it depends on can this last? Can Kellyanne get a hold of his phone, smash it with a hammer, a la Hillary Clinton's 13 iPads, uh, and prevent him from doing dumb things? I don't I, I don't think that's likely. I don't think that's likely. By the way, can can we just digress for a moment? Did you see Saturday Night Live? I saw part of the debate clip so i've i I am not normally someone that gets offended by comedy that's making fun of politics right i am i am very hard to offend agreed same so kellyanne got the snl treatment oh did she oh you haven't seen it no okay well we'll watch the clip after this so they did a family feud segment where (laughs) it's the trump and clinton teams and oh so Team Clinton, they didn't have Chelsea, which I'm I'm starting to get a little miffed that, like, Chelsea kind of still gets the kid gloves when, right. like, okay, if she's going to run her mom's foundation and be out there on the campaign trail, she should get the same treatment as the Trump kids. But I digress. So she's not in the SNL skit. The Clinton family was Bill, played by Daryl Hammond, um, Sarah Silverman, played by someone else, not actually Sarah Silverman. Mm-hmm. Uh, Lynn Manuel Miranda, the guy right. from yeah. Hamilton, yeah. not played by Lynn, but he'll be right. hosting this Saturday, right? Uh, and then on the Trump side, it was 
uh, Ivanka, played by Margot Robbie, who always had a fan on her the whole time. <laughs> uh, and who else was on the t- Trump side? Oh, Chris Christie. Uh, and then Kellyanne. Kellyanne played by Kate McKinnon. Oh, my God. And it was, it was I thought, a, a, a fairly funny segment. But there were times when it I, I thought it was, too, it was a little bit mean-spirited. Like, mm-hmm. it wasn't making fun of, um, you know, campaign stuff. It was... It was it was in a place where I was like, if this was I really feel like if it was a Democratic female operative, there would have been outrage about mm-hmm. some of. So anyhow, I was so, hey, uh, uh, one of us got the SNL treatment breaking, breaking the glass ceiling. But I was ki- I was uncomfortable with, mm. with it. So anyhow, that's I digress. Um, yeah. But the in terms of the. The polls right now, I think, I mean, I'm always really focused on these state polls. As I was walking in here, there was um, some fresh polling that had come out. I think uh, Reuters Ipsos had uh, some pretty favorable polling to Trump that had just come out in a bunch of swing states. Um, There was a poll today uh, that showed in a state like Pennsylvania, you have uh, Clinton up by 10, but you still have Pat Toomey and Katie McGinty tied in the Senate race. So in in a lot of these states where you see these big gaps between where Donald Trump is running and where the Senate Republican is running, the question is still there. Are are we actually going to see this many people split their tickets? Um, but overall, it, it's looking less good for Trump in the Electoral College. Ohio's still pretty close. Florida's still pretty close. Pennsylvania's- I think there was a poll out today that showed Clinton up in Ohio, which there hadn't been yes. one in a while. I think it was I think it was a pretty slim margin, which mm-hmm. was why it was then pretty extraordinary because Rob Portman was winning by like 20 points mm-hmm. in that same poll. It was like, oh, OK, this is he's he is this, uh, I, somebody described it as he's reached escape velocity. Um, but then other polling showed I think North Carolina is still close. And Richard Burr, the incumbent Republican senator there, 46 um, percent tied his opponent 46 percent. So mm-hmm. this, even though the Senate map has changed and some states, Republicans have put it away, it's pretty safe. Other ones, like, I don't think they were expecting to really have to defend North Carolina right. six months ago. But right. now North Carolina and Missouri, these are ones that are like, oh, these are more on our radar. And does New Hampshire now go blue after Kelly Ayotte said, absolutely, I would have Donald Trump would be a role model, role model and then walked it back. And- I mean, that's quite a thing to walk back. That's a heck of a that's a heck of a walk back. <laughs> anyway, so um, every cycle, there's always some debate, debate comment that makes it into an ad that goes a little viral. So I guess this is she's she's the, that's one, the one she's the one this cycle. Anyway, so. All this means that um, there's going to be a lot of pressure on Trump to do well this Sunday. And I guess, you know, we'll have to see how – I mean, if there's going to be as much interest on in this debate as there have been, has been in the past two debates. You know, is it going to be somewhere between the VP debate and the first debate in terms of ratings? Um, that one's hosted by Martha Raddatz and Anderson Cooper, right? That's this one on Sunday. So that should be fun. That's exciting. Um, so – Next, we are going to talk a little bit about climate change. So Pew has done a really great extensive report about climate change and some of the views toward climate change. There's a lot in there to look at. So folks should go take a look and read it themselves because yeah, it's pretty I, extensive. Yeah, I study this issue a lot because I am on the advisory board for a group called ClearPath. Uh, it's a group that's 
focused on trying to get Republicans, uh, you know, to promote sort of conservative clean energy policies, uh, you know, to things like nuclear, hydropower, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and so I do a lot of polling work for them. Uh, and I found these findings really interesting because Pew breaks things out by party. Um, and so on questions like belief about climate change, Earth is warming mostly due to human activity. Uh, you've got 15 percent of conservative Republicans who believe that. Again, generally, I've, when you look at polling, conservative Republicans say – they think the earth is warming, but it's probably man-made. Meanwhile, for moderate liberal Republicans, you have a much bigger slice that say, yes, earth is warming and it's mostly due to human activity. Um, when you look at uh, questions about what do you think is likely to happen as a result of climate change, there's a huge gap between conservative Republicans and moderate and liberal Republicans. But then there's actually – between moderate Republicans and moderate Democrats, there's like almost no gap. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it's fascinating to me. Moderate Republicans are closer to conservative Democrats on some of this stuff. It's it, the, There is not orthodoxy within the Republican Party on all of this. Um, and so you have, you know, pretty sizable numbers overall, about 40 percent of adults between 41 and 43 percent think that we are very likely to see things like more severe storms, more droughts and water shortages. Um, the finding that I think was perhaps the most interesting for me was this question about what does the long-term future look like? Mm-hmm. So within 50 years, um, will Americans make major changes to their way of life to address climate change? 61% of people believe that. And the group most likely to say yes to that was moderate to liberal Republicans at 68%. More mm-hmm. of them think that we will be making major changes to our way of life even compared to Democrats, even compared to liberal Democrats. Right. Um, And that new technology will solve most problems from climate change. Uh, Moderate Republicans are exactly in line with where liberal Democrats are on that question, with uh, about 61 percent of moderate Republicans, 63 percent of liberal Democrats saying that it's going to be new technology that's going to solve most of our problems. I mean, it seems very, I don't know, pie in the sky, very rose-colored glasses, like, oh, well, just, you know... Well, so I was see, I was kind of heartened Technology, by that because that's I mean, really I, the message. Like that is the kind of conservative clean energy message: is let's innovate our way out of this rather than regulate our way out of it. Let's come up with cool new ways to power everything that we do that don't doesn't. I guess pump a bunch of junk into the sky. I guess it's not that I'm pessimistic about technology solving these problems. I guess I'm pessimistic about sort of the political climate to encourage technology or to implement or to encourage people to make major changes, just given, for example, how partisan these numbers are overall um, and what we know about how climate change, you know, becomes – falls along uh, partisan lines and in, in operationally in Washington. So I guess it's the optimism that in 50 years, you know, things are going to work out. seems to me not really – doesn't really match with where the political climate is right now. Well, you wind up with, you know, when you take a look at these partisan and ideological breaks on what do you think would make a big difference to address climate change – um, restrictions on power plant carbon emissions, 51% of voters overall say they think that would make a big difference. Uh, again, you have an identical response between the moderate Republicans and the conservative Democrats. They both behave the same on this question. Um, international trade agreements to limit carbon emissions, however, splits them back out. People fall more into their partisan camps than their ideological camps over mm-hmm. that. Uh, the one if, – if I was giving Pew some feedback on this – The one thing I would have changed is I wasn't crazy about, they say, would corporate tax incentives make a big difference to address climate change? What kind of – what does that mean? Maybe the questionnaire has more detail to it, but I might even hear that 
and go, well, corporate tax incentives to do what? And nobody likes giving corporations tax breaks, right? Like if you reworded that to say like incentives for companies to research new clean technology, you probably would have seen a, tw- a 10 to 15 point bump mm-hmm. on that question mm-hmm. beyond, oh, let's just give corporations money. So I, it as always, it depends on how you ask the question. But I was just fascinated by the watching the moderate Republican dot on these charts at sometimes overtake where the conservative Democrats were to me signaling that this is yes, there was a big ideological dimension here, but there is a big slice of the GOP that's actually closer to Democrats than they mm-hmm. are to their own fellow partisans on some of this stuff. Well, there was once upon a time back when I first moved to Washington and I had to do my emailing out of the internet room, um, things like climate change were actually not really very divergent along party lines. I mean, Democrats and Republicans very frequently agreed, even if it was not quite as pressing of an issue, let's say, or as urgent of an issue as it, as it seems now. But at the time, it was much less of a part. There was much less of a party divide than than in there is now. I mean, these numbers are really striking. That's why Pew released so much of it by party, because it just explains, yeah. like, frankly, so much of what we talk about on this show, it can be explained by party, the difference. But, but you know, if you look at party, if you're not looking at party, you're almost ignoring the whole thing, the whole story. Yeah. Um. So that's why I think Pew released so much here. Now, you may not be surprised to know that a lot of folks in my neighborhood in Tacoma Park work in climate change. So I asked one of my friends, Kathleen Kelly, who's one of the top climate folks at CAP, because what I was interested in is this list of what can make a big difference to address climate change, restrictions on power plant emissions, international agreements, et cetera, the corporate tax incentives that you mentioned. How do these align with what climate folks, who people who study climate, actually think would make an impact? Because we're just asking voters for their opinion. How does it match with what other folks think? Because if you look at the overall numbers, there's actually not that much of a difference. There's a little bit of a difference in the overall, but not dramatic. But she said that for the most part, these, you know, these are pretty much in alignment with what experts in terms of the ranking of what voters would say. I mean, she said she would put international agreements probably even higher, um, but that people reducing their carbon footprints while people want to take action by themselves, obviously that's good to take action. Ultimately, you know, what sets the stage for all this is international agreements and some, you know, governments taking action. So anyway, so just a little feedback. Interesting stuff. Interesting stuff. From the neighbors. From the folks who are studying this kind of thing. And then the other thing, too, for folks who study climate change or look at polling is there's even some thought given to how you talk about climate change. And we've done that. We've talked about this before. Like if it just is a poll that says climate change or you talk, you know, if that people say that's an issue, what side of the issue are they on? Are they on one side or the other? So even just having the word address climate change is a very neutral phrasing that Pew has here. Folks who work in reducing climate change are probably less likely to say address. They would say something like reduce or curb or, you know, uh, tackle, fight, something like that, a little bit different than address, which is a little bit more neutral, I guess. So, And stop is something that – or reverse is something that's, you know, seen as maybe a little bit less likely to happen. Anyway, so – some thoughts from on question wording. And the the other thing that they find in this study, which, you know, when I'm doing all of my research on what do people think about clean energy comes up a lot is people don't view all types of clean energy in quite the same way. So solar and wind power, you have just 
astronomical positivity about solar and wind. 89% have favorable views toward solar. 83% have favorable views toward wind. But of course, those sometimes are, people think those are nice, but maybe not immediately useful. Meanwhile, other things like fracking, coal mining, offshore drilling, you have majorities who are less crazy about those things, um, who say they sort of oppose expanding that. Nuclear power is another one where it sort of has a bad, uh, it has a tougher reputation. You still do have 43% of Americans who say they would favor more nuclear power plants, but we just, we don't have them um, it's not like in Europe where there are nuclear power plants everywhere and that's where most of their power comes from. There's just less of an exposure to it here. And so things like visions of Three Mile Island, it's easier for that to stick in people's minds. Um, while in other places around the world, they've got these new advanced technology plants that are not, you know, based on 30 plus year old technology. And they're much, 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 they are safe. And, and so it's just, it's fascinating to see how, you know, Something like nuclear power, which is actually does not produce carbon emissions, nonetheless gets kind of lumped in with these other carbon emitting forms of energy on this question. Yeah. So check it out, folks. It's at Pew. There's lots of cool stuff. Even the percentage of people who are bothered when they see other people do things like leave the lights on or leave electronics on or throw things away that could be recycled. Um or drink from a dispo disposable water bottle. <laughs> Which of those things bother people? So, um, so go check it out if you have a chance. All right, last but not least, it's October, which means it's almost Halloween and time for us to think about what we might dress up as for Halloween. Uh, so there was some polling that was done. Uh, this is National Research or National Retail Foundation figuring out what people are most likely to wear. For children's costumes, the top costume this year is likely to be an action or superhero followed by a princess. Yes, um, and apparently this is new that princess takes the number two spot, which I saw people kind of rejoicing and showing a girl in a like action hero thing. I'm like, I'm sure, not I'm sure, but I bet if we broke this out by gender, you'd probably find princess. Princess might be number one, perhaps. Probably, but it, but if if there is enough of a decline among that cross tab. Yeah. To where Princess has now been brought down to two. Which, by the way, I realize we're using the word crosstab. I got a note the other day from one of my good friends who listens to the show. Mm -hmm. And she said, I'm sorry if this is a dumb question, but what is a crosstab? Mm. And I realized we use this term all the time and we haven't defined it. If you're not in the industry, you might not know what the heck we're talking about. So I, pretty, I de described it very quickly as imagine a grid where the rows are the answers to a question. Are you voting for Clinton? Trump? Undecided. And then the columns are... Are you male, female, young, old, black, white, Latino? Like that's cross tabs. It's a big spreadsheet looking grid. So right. anyhow, when I say in the cross tabs, that means sure, overall, princess is number two, but if you look at just the girls girls under eight. Under eight cross tab, princess might be higher. Yes. So yes, this is gonna be my one of my painful activities for the weekend. It will be trying to move my daughter away from a princess costume. So yeah, and actually, in fact, today, as I was driving her to school, I said, do you know, this is, you know, <laughs> did you know, Lucy, that the number one kid's costume right now is a superhero? And she's like, why? <laughs> and I said, good question. 
<laughs> I don't know. There was no follow-up. I don't know. Maybe because superheroes are really great. So Has we'll she see. volunteered what she'd like to be? Yeah, and it's a princess. Oh. <laughs> She's like, I don't think you're going to like it, Mom. <laughs> so we'll have to we'll have to do some kind of negotiation. Helping her with like her outfits is kind of like a cross between what I imagine like a stylist for like a nine-year-old, like like TV star would be crossed with like a lady's maid for young Lady Mary, you know, from <laughs> that's what about this one? Well, no, this one's really nice. <laughs> Let's just go with this one. Okay. <laughs> and, and will Beckett be going as, will he be going as an avocado? I think I want to have him go as like a weightlifter with like a, like a sweatband, <laughs> like, like uh, wristbands and like just shorts, you know, <laughs> like his baby converses. <laughs> that's kind of my, I, I don't know. If no I way he'll ever look at those pictures twenty years from now and be like, what "That's did my plan. You do? That's my plan." Because he's just such a big chunk. So that's basically now, all one thing I with. question in here. So they say number one is action slash superhero, but then they have Batman character as number four. I know it's could bat, and then they have DC superhero. Excluding Batman, DC not being the District of Columbia, right. instead being <laughs> the comics. We don't have a lot of heroes around no, here. No, no. Uh, and then Marvel superhero excluding Spider-Man, then Spider-Man gets his own line. So some of these divisions, I'm like, I might have coded this a little differently. I know. I guess otherwise they have to make it interesting. Otherwise, it would just be superhero be one because it would include, you know, all these other categories. Yeah. And then Spider-Man is its own category. I mean, it's – and then why is animal just everything together? I mean, I'd like to see where cat and dog rate relative to lion or monkey. Anyway, so it's all pretty funny. I mean, what else I found – that's also funny is that adults over 35, they break out separately from millennials because, you know, everyone wants to know millennials are up to. Um, and millennials, I guess the main difference is that millennials are more likely, are less like, they're not at all likely, I guess, to want to be, uh, have a political costume while adults who are older are going to have a political costume. The rest of it is just more categories of different kinds of superheroes also. My favorite costume last year, back when... It was still funny to be Donald Trump. I don't know if it's funny anymore, but it was funny last year. Uh, It was Dave Weigel uh, dressing up as, if you've seen Mad Max Fury Road, and Morton Joe, who's just this very large, like, villain Mm -hmm. who is super misogynist and, like, runs the, like – water industry in this little town. Anyways, I'm explaining it horribly. But he dressed as Immortan Joe with a Make America Great Again hat on. So he was Immortan <laughs> Trump. And it was amazing. I don't think it would be as funny this time around. I, I have a friend. I think this kid is like four now. But they had – I guess their kid was like Beckett size, so like this big tummy. And they put the kid in with like just pants on like one of those wooden sort of – ponies heads on a stick and like a gold chain and it was Putin and the kid like looked just like Putin like on the horse you know the shirtless Putin on a horse and every year they repost this I mean I don't know how the kid is not a baby anymore that's all I know and um every year they repost it and every year I I mean every time I think about it I laugh so I hope I look forward to (laughs) seeing that float around the internet again um anyway I love Halloween it's one of my favorite holidays but for pets the number one costume for pets is a pumpkin followed up by a hot dog and then a bumblebee. Anyway, I guess there are not not quite as many superheroes in the pet list as in some of the other lists. I feel like pumpkin makes sense. Pumpkin can work for a cat or a dog. Yeah. Although I feel like 
at it. Do- I feel like dogs have to be more amenable to wearing silly costumes than cats, right? Yeah. I feel like a cat would fight back a little more against that. I can speak with some authority on this. <laughs> not, I would not be a fan of the whole enterprise. So. No, no, no. But anyway, an, an NRF also predicts um, record spending on Halloween this year. Almost $9 billion in the Halloween spending. My God. It's a lot of candy getting bought out there. That's great. Yikes. I guess, I guess that's right. good. Okay. All right, then. So America's great. Halloween is going to be great again. Um, so key findings, people are looking for more information sources about buying stuff than about politics. And that's even before last night's rockin' VP debate. Even a bunch of kittens can tell you that Clinton's had a post-debate bounce and the candidates may not be talking much about climate change, but don't worry, there are still deep partisan divides anyway. And you know, it's really scary the idea that political costumes are going to be pretty popular this year. You can find us on Twitter at at the pollsters or individually at at Margie O'Mero and at Kaysolta Sanderson. We're at www.thepolsters.com where you can find our show notes with links to the polls that we've discussed on the program today. And you can also find links to a whole host of good sources for polling data if you just need to get your fix during the week. You can also subscribe to us on your podcatcher of choice, listen to us on Spotify, follow us on Facebook, uh, where we post links throughout the week to the stories that we might be discussing. Uh, And if you haven't yet, make sure you also like the ABC This Week Facebook page. Between now and Election Day, Margie and I are going to be popping up there about once a week doing a brief Facebook live chat uh, where you can ask us questions about the polls. We'll be talking about whatever the folks on ABC talked about that Sunday beforehand. So check us out. Write us a review. Let us know what you think. Have a great week, and we'll talk to you guys soon. Thanks. Bye.